Good evening, and welcome to Bob's World for this Thursday, January the 21st, 2021. And you are noticing I'm on even later today, as we've already crossed the 8 o'clock hour on the Eastern Time Zone of North America. I get audience metrics, which I sometimes look at. We've only been on for about two weeks, so the data and the audience isn't up to what I expect it will be once we're established, but it's interesting data anyway. We've gone international now, as I say hello to one of our Canadian friends who's listened at least once this week. It made me reflect on something while preparing this evening's late broadcast, which I'll share with you in a moment. And we'll close with an essay I found in the Delaware News Journal about a photo you've no doubt seen a lot showing a lone person in uniform at the grave of President Biden's son as the father was being sworn into office yesterday. But first, we have 19 degrees in St. Johnsbury. The Weather Service says we've pretty much bottomed out for the night as warmer air comes in, at least for a little bit. I walked to West Ward Auto Repair in St. Johnsbury to pick up my 2010 Mercury today, and it was still just a 10 out then, and it was high noon. Snow showers tonight and tomorrow. Tomorrow's high 35, Friday night's low 12. Overcast on Saturday with snow flurries possible. High temperature 14. Saturday night's low in the lower single digits, and Sunday has sun but a high of 14. Looking around the region at 846, moonlit skies in Hartford, Connecticut, where it's 34, snow in Montreal, 26. We've got some clouds in Boston, 29, down on Cape Cod, it's 38 and cloudy. In the Empire State, cloudy, and uh, 32 in Albany, 30 in Brewster, Putnam County, and 39 degrees under moonlit skies in Central Park, Manhattan. Recapping our St. Johnsbury temperature, 19 and cloudy, that is our overnight low. Welcome to Bob's World. I'm Bob Welch and stories that caught my eye on this Thursday, January the 21st. Your cat isn't just getting high off catnip. New York Times reports that for a lesson in euphoria, look no further than a house cat twined around a twig of silver vine I need to look no further than the chair on the other side of the studio because Chloe will do exactly that when the cat is offered a snipping of the plant, which contains chemicals similar to the ones found in catnip. Most domesticated felines will purr, drool, and smooch their faces, reads the Times, <laughs> into its intoxicating leaves and stabs. This is poetry and writing. Prose, excuse me. Uh, then zonk out in a state of catatonic bliss. But the ecstatic rush might not be the only reason felines flock to these plants. New research suggests compounds laced into plants like silvervine and catnip might also help cats ward off mosquitoes, equipping them with a do-it-yourself pest repellent that's far more fun to apply than a greasy coat of DEET and not nearly as toxic. Come to think of it, maybe I should go and... No, I won't rub my... Should I? No, no, I won't. Probably doesn't have the same effect on humans. And the fact that cat would be all over me. <laughs> Other papers have pointed to the insect deterring effects of catnip 
other scientific papers, and similar plants. But the new study published yesterday in the journal Science Advances uh, is the first to draw a direct link between the plants and their protective effects on cats. And if the microphone's sensitive enough, you just heard Chloe clawing onto the side of my desk. For what it's worth, a former EDT employee admitted today that he hacked into the video feeds of more than 200 Texas customers to spy on naked women and couples having sex inside their homes. The New York Daily News reports 35-year-old Telsforo Aviles logged into customers' accounts more than 9,000 times over a four-year period, quote, in order to view their footage for sexual gratification, he admitted in federal court. The creep, who worked as a home security technician before being fired last year, pleaded guilty to computer fraud and now faces up to five years in federal prison. Avilas was able to spy on his victims by routinely adding his personal email address to customers' ADT Pulse accounts, which gave him real-time access to live video feeds from their homes, according to the plea agreement. Prosecutors say in some cases he would falsely tell customers he needed to add himself temporarily to test the system. In other instances, he simply added his email without anyone's knowledge. Former President Donald Trump no longer has his finger on the button. Joe Biden, who took office yesterday, reportedly got rid of the button Trump used to order a Red Alert Diet Coke in the Oval Office. Tom Newton Dunn from the Times of London tweeted that when he interviewed Trump in 2019, he noticed a red button on the 45th president's desk. Eventually, Trump pressed it, and a butler swiftly brought in a Diet Coke on a silver platter, he recalled, noting that photos of Biden sitting behind the Resolute desk show no such button. This is Bob's World for Thursday, January the 21st. Remember, you can leave your comments on anything you hear on the broadcast at any time in the week, 24 hours a day, in fact. On the Bob's World Talkback Machine, that is 802-467-0212. That's 802-467-0212. Community announcement you want me to pass along? The email is easiest, robert.welch0520 at gmail.com. That's robert.welch0520 at gmail.com. It's the 21st day of 2021 with 345 days left in the year. Who's celebrating a birthday today? Or has, given that we're getting on in the day. World Golf Hall of Famer Jack Nicklaus is 80. Opera singer-conductor Placido Domingo, 79. Singer Mac Davis, 78. Billy Ocean. Remember Caribbean Queen? Billy Ocean is 70? I consider that contemporary music. That was a hit on the radio 30 years ago. Former U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder is 69. Actress Gina Davis, 64. Senator Kevin Kramer, who represents North Dakota as a Republican, 59. Basketball Hall of Famer Hakeem Olajuwon, 57. In 1908, New York City's Board of Aldermen passed an ordinance prohibiting women from smoking in public establishments. The measure was vetoed by Mayor George McClellan, Jr., but not before one woman, Katie 
Mulcahy was jailed overnight for refusing to pay a fine. In 1924, Russian revolutionary Vladimir Lenin died at 53. In 1950, former State Department official Alger Hiss, accused of being part of a communist spy ring, was found guilty in New York of lying to a grand jury. Hiss, who proclaimed his innocence, served less than four years in prison. In 1954, the first atomic submarine, the USS Nautilus, was launched at Groton, Connecticut. However, the Nautilus did not make its first nuclear-powered run until nearly a year later. In 1976, British Airways and Air France inaugurated scheduled passenger service on the supersonic Concorde jet. In 1977, on his first full day in office, President Jimmy Carter pardoned almost all Vietnam War draft evaders. Oh, you'll remember this story if you remember the name. Don't really need to give you much more detail, but I will tell you that a jury in Manassas, Virginia in 1994 found Lorena Bobbitt not guilty by reason of temporary insanity for maliciously wounding her husband, John, reads the Times, the Stay in History section. That is a delicate way of putting that. It was a delicate part of the anatomy, too. She'd accused him of sexually assaulting her. A reflection today. I noticed through listener metrics on this podcast that I've got a few listeners in Canada which reminded me once again how important our relation is to each other. We have our moments, obviously, as a country. But most of the time, we get along just fine. You know, I love to travel, and in Canada, I've paid visits to Quebec more than any other province, and Montreal more than any other city. After all, it's just a a two-and-a-half-hour drive from St. Johnsbury, and when I lived in the Champlain Valley in central Vermont, it was even a shorter drive. And most of your radio stations come in here, if that is indeed the part of Canada where you are listening to me from. Of course, I have no idea. You could be be in, uh, as I pick up my cat, it's live, recorded live. You could be Halifax, Cape Breton, Newfoundland, Vancouver Island, heck, Ellesmere Island, but that probably doesn't have too good internet service, sadly. Basically close to home over the past 10 months, as we've all been, reminds me how much I miss Canada I remember made overnight sleeping guard journeys from Halifax to Montreal during the summer, most years since I was a teenager. I remember vacations to eastern Maine since I was very little. And the day trips from places like Eastport and Callis on the main side of the St. Croix River and Passamaquoddy Bay, which is a part of the Bay of Fundy. I remember all of that fondly. One of my radio friends, Tom McLaughlin, held on mornings at WQDY in Callis for many years, and I see his regular pictures from his Facebook feed from his eSport home, which he shares a glance into his world. Apparently, eSport Maine has an awful lot of deer, and uh, they're not quite sure what to do about it. There's deer that are like lawn ornaments in his yard. Only they move. What's also in his pictures? 
Campobello Island, New Brunswick. It's right across the water. 25 years ago, I went out west and I have slides of Glacier Waterton International Peace Park, which we should make more of. As how many other neighboring countries have national parkland touching each other and give the entire landmass one name? The U.S. and Canada, that's who. I know we can't travel now. We miss your cars in our parking lots and your customers in our stores. You no doubt miss us. But I know we'll see your places again, and I know you'll see our places again as we gradually get back to normal. Most of the time you hear me share a few lines from news items featured on this broadcast, and I always give a tip of the hat to the news organization whose story I'm sharing with you. Rarely do I read an entire article, but for continuity's sake and for just how touching it is, I'm making an exception for this. And please subscribe to your local newspaper wherever you are, as it was a reporter for one of those local papers. Not the New York Times, not the Washington Post, the Boston Globe, or the New York Daily News, or the Toronto Globe and Mail. None of them had this story. It was a reporter for one of the local papers who had the reporter's instinct to go to the gravesite of President Biden's son, Bo, the day the father, Joe, was being sworn in as president. We'll end what has become tonight's edition of the podcast with this story from Patricia Tellerico, who writes for the Delaware News Journal. Delaware is a tiny state. The joke is there are no degrees of separation. We always ask people where they went to high school because we know that's where we'll find our Delaware connection, and we usually do. President Joe Biden's son, Bo, was a few years younger than I was. This is the writer speaking in all of this. We didn't go to the same schools in Delaware, but we knew some of the same people. Our paths crossed every once in a while, especially when he was attorney general. That's just Delaware. Back in 2002, I was assigned to write a feature story on a guy who had decided to become a politician. I had to follow this guy around to many events. While I had covered the late Senator Bill Roth's last campaign, I was struggling with this assignment. The man's rival wasn't too happy at the attention her opponent was receiving and chewed me out at an event. I sat on a bench at Highlands Elementary School in Wilmington alone, sifting through my notes with a deadline looming, awaiting, anxious, new editor wanted a piece that sang, and I had a sinking feeling, what the heck was I going to write? I'm sure the despair showed in my face. Then I heard a friendly voice say, hey, how are you? Are you okay? I looked up and it was Bo standing over me, holding out his hand. He introduced himself, but I already knew who he was, and we shook hands and made small talk. He wasn't in office at the time, just being kind. It wasn't a grand gesture, just a small one, but somehow it made a difference that day. I never forgot that act of kindness. That's one reason I stood in line for hours in 2015 with thousands of other Delawareans at St. Anthony of Padua Catholic Church in Wilmington to pay respects to the Biden family. It was a public viewing for Bo, who died of cancer. The News Journal was the only media allowed 
at an after-funeral gathering at the patio of Archmere Academy for Bo's closest friends. The photographer, Jason Minto, and I were the only journalists there, and we heard stories from his friends and saw never-before-made public photos. It wasn't hard to tell how much he was beloved. On Tuesday, at Joe Biden's send-off in Delaware, it struck me that the president-elect was leaving to become the 46th president, not from the Wilmington train station that bears his name, but from the Delaware National Guard Center near Newcastle, named for Bo, who died at age 46. Joe had tears in his eyes when he said Bo should have been the one to become president. I lost a very close family member two years ago this month, and I can understand his continued grief. Long story short, I was thinking of Bo on Wednesday when I was sent out on assignment to see how or even if Delaware was celebrating this historic presidential moment for our state. As I drove into Greenville, I thought I would drive by Bo's grave and say a short prayer outside of St. Joseph and the Brandywine, a Catholic church where I have attended Mass not far from my house. I saw a lone person in a blue uniform kneeling at Bo's grave. No one else was around on this cold, windy afternoon except for a few people doing outside work at the cemetery. In my car, I had the radio turned on. Joe Biden was being sworn in as president and was about to begin his address. The person in the uniform bowed their head and clasped their hands. The image brought tears to my eyes. I couldn't bring myself to interrupt this poignant, solemn moment. I took some photos from a distance and pulled my car over to a nearby roadway. I listened to the end of Biden's speech and drove back to see if the person was still there. The person was, and the person was still kneeling, still had their head bowed. The journalist in me wanted to go back and find out the person's identity and ask why they were there. The person who once received a kind gesture from Bo when I needed it most knew it was a time to be respectful and I drove away. Some things in life you just let be. That story was from Patricia Tallarico, in her words, from the Delaware News Journal in today's edition. And that is how we close tonight, this Thursday, January 21st, 2021. For Bob's World, I'm Bob Welch. Thank you for listening.